the Transfiguration. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, as the men were leaving um, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son in whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Brilliant. Thank you so much for reading that. Good morning, everyone. And can I add my welcome to Jago's to say it's lovely to have you with us, particularly if you are new visiting back from holidays. It is a joy to be all together once again. Um, my name is Felix. I'm on the team here on the clergy team. And um, I'm going to pray and ask God to help us as we look at these words together. So let me pray. Almighty God, thank you so much that you are a God that speaks. And so I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what it is that you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, a number of years ago, there was an advert for uh, a financial advice company called E.F. Hutton. And the scene for this advert was set in the stands of a tennis match. And um, as you can expect, uh, everyone watching this tennis match were watching the balls, so everyone's heads were sort of going you know, left to right, or right to left, I forget which way it is with you sitting there, but you know what I mean, all moving together, right? And then someone in the stands uh, leans across to the person sitting next to him, and he says to the person sitting next to him, my broker works for financial advisor E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, and then suddenly everyone stops following the ball, and everyone leans in to listen to the financial advice. And the closing line of the ad is, when E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone listens. And presumably, all right, it's because E.F. Hutton has got good financial advice credentials. Who someone is will determine how we respond to them, how we will listen to them. We know this, right? We know this. So um, in the last 13 years, there have been four general elections, five prime ministers in 13 years. It's quite a lot. Um, and when a candidate asks us for their vote, we've been faced with the question, is this person worth 
our vote? Do their credentials stack up? And, uh, you know, sometimes it's a sort of, you know, quite a hard decision. It's a hard decision sometimes the candidates on offer to us, but sometimes it's a little bit easier. You may remember in the 27 general election, we had some quite interesting candidates standing for election. You might remember, you might not, that we had someone called Elmo the Red Muppet standing for election. You can look it up afterwards, I promise you it's true. We had someone called Lord Buckethead standing for election. We even had someone called Mr. Fishfinger standing at the general election in 2017. Can you imagine a prime minister called Mr. Fishfinger? Well, each of these three people, they asked us to follow them. When we saw and heard who said it, we said no, understandably. Instead, the Conservative Party won that general election in 2017. And their slogan was strong and stable. Strong and stable. And they asked us, the general public, to follow them. And in the election, we said, the general public said, yes. People wanted strength and stability. And yet, last week, we heard another call to follow someone. If you were here last week, but just the passage before ours that was read just a moment ago, Jesus Christ says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. In other words, if Jesus had a slogan for his followers, I think it would be denial and sacrifice. Who on earth would want to follow someone who says you need to deny yourself if you want to be a follower? It would be political suicide, wouldn't it, if a politician said that. In fact, I think it would probably be more than political suicide. Jesus is in effect saying, if you want to follow him, you need to live your life not for yourself, but for him. In other words, we need to take off the crown, metaphorically, of our own heads and give it to Jesus to wear. When we follow Jesus, he calls the shots. And in today's culture, I think that can be quite an offensive thing to hear. You know, how dare someone tell me how I should live my life? I'm in charge of my life. I decide what to do with my life. I decide who I am. I wear the crown. Not Jesus, not my parents, not my teachers, not my friends. To which Jesus says, not if you want to follow me. Which leaves us with the question, will we listen to Jesus and follow him or not? And I imagine there'll be plenty of reasons why we might be tempted not to listen to Jesus. For one, what Jesus says is controversial. Already what I've said in a sense is a bit controversial, has a bit of a bite to it. A study came out uh, just last year, in fact, that said we are living in one of the most intolerant times in modern history when it comes to other people's ideas. If we don't like those ideas, we shut our ears and we cancel. The American songwriter and singer Lizzo has even called this cancel culture trendy. She wasn't advocating it, but she was saying this uh, cancel culture, it's trendy. People want to kind of get on board with it at the moment, which gives us, I think, maybe another reason not to listen to Jesus. Because, you know, if we listen to Jesus, we run the risk of not being trendy. You know, perhaps you're listening to this 
and you're feeling a bit embarrassed that you're here at church listening to a talk about Jesus. You know, perhaps you're thinking, I really hope my uh, work colleagues don't know I'm here. There are plenty, there are plenty, I've just mentioned a few, but there are plenty of reasons why we wouldn't listen to Jesus. And perhaps you are a follower of Jesus here this morning. But like all of us, there'll be times when you might be wondering, is this listening to Jesus worth it? You know, maybe you've arrived this morning, we're thinking about the kind of new academic year ahead, and you're feeling exhausted by it before we've even really got started. You're feeling exhausted just in life, let alone kind of your spiritual life. And you're thinking, is this worth it? Listening to Jesus, it's hard work. You know, maybe you came to church this morning and you look out onto the common and you see people kind of lounging around on the grass in the sun, seemingly not a care in the world, certainly not a care for church or for Jesus. And you think, oh, I wish I could just do that. Why not? Why don't you just, you know, not come to church this morning, not listen to Jesus this morning? In fact, why not? Let's just sack it all off together and following Jesus. Because, you know, denying myself is hard. Not doing what I want to do, but what Jesus calls us to do, well, that can be hard at times. Each of us will know areas of our life where following Jesus feels tricky, where there's a kind of a pinch. You know, maybe it's with your relationships. You know, a pinch to what Jesus calls to in purity and obedience to him and what your girlfriend or boyfriend wants. Or maybe it might be conduct at work. You know, a pinch between what Jesus calls to in uh, sort of obedience and, and honesty and to what your boss or your company are kind of demanding from you in the workplace. Or maybe it's just ongoing battles with sin. You know, a pinch between what Jesus calls us to and, I don't know, the, the sort of desires of your heart, the cravings. And Jesus, in our passage, just before ours today, has said, deny yourself and to follow him. And we say, maybe secretly think, who on earth do you think you are? On what grounds do you, Jesus, have the authority to say that to me? That's the question the author Luke addresses in our passage today. At the start of Luke's gospel, um, he says he's written this stuff based on eyewitness accounts so that we might be convinced of the truth. So when it comes to Jesus, what is the truth? In our passage today, we're told, just one simple refrain I want us to remember. We're told, listen to the one who proves he's God's son. Listen to the one who proves he's God's son. How does he prove it? Well, he proves it on a mountain. When you read through the Bible, important stuff seems to quite often happen on mountains. And so when in verse 28, we read that Jesus uh, takes some of his followers, uh, Peter, John, and James, up a mountain, I think we're thinking, you know, ooh, you know, what's going to happen? And we're not disappointed, are we? As Jesus is praying, his face literally changes. Suddenly, his clothes become as bright as a flash of lightning. And we're thinking, you know, this is a bit unusual, isn't it? But it gets even crazier. Two people from the Old Testament who are dead, by the way, suddenly appear and are having a chat with Jesus. And we're thinking, what's going on? (laughs) 
At home, uh, we have a book. I wish I bought it this morning. Um, it's an activity book that uh, we read with our son. And it's got two stories in it. And basically the way it works is you read the first story, you then start reading the second story, and as you're reading the second story, you try and spot the kind of clues in the second story that remind you of the first story. So, for example, the first story has lions in it. So when you're reading the second story and you spot pictures of lions, you go, oh, I see a lion. I've spotted a clue. And so on. Well, in a similar way, as we're reading this passage in Luke's gospel, we're supposed to be reminded of things that have happened earlier in the Bible. The book we read with our son is designed to be a bit of fun. Especially for my son, maybe less so for me. It's a moderately interesting read for me. Um, but this passage, this passage, it's got clues that are designed to make us listen to the one who proves he's God's son. So what we're going to do, very simply, we're just going to work our way through the passage and spot the clues that prove who Jesus really is. Okay? And each clue invites us, the reader, to ask a question in response. So clue number one. Clue number one, the mountain. A key moment in the Old Testament was when God, the God of the whole universe, revealed himself to the prophet Moses. Where did it happen? On a mountain, Mount Sinai. Where is Jesus and his disciples in this passage? On a mountain. Which invites the question, is God going to reveal something spectacular again? Well, let's find out. Clue number two, Jesus' face. Back in the Old Testament, when Moses was on that mountain, Mount Sinai, and he came down, we're told Moses' face was kind of radiantly bright. Now, in our passage today, we're told Jesus' face changes. He becomes radiantly bright. Question, could it be that God is revealing himself again? Clue number three, the appearing of Moses and Elijah. Now, these guys were prophets in the Old Testament, which basically means they were ordinary people used by God to speak God's words. And there have been various kind of suggested reasons for why, you know, out of all the old people in the Old Testament, these two in particular appear in our passage. Why these two in particular? And to help us, I think, understand what I think is probably the most persuasive reason why it's just these two, I want to refer to one of my favorite films. I love the film The Lion King. Really like it. I went and saw it in the West End as well. It's a good show. Um, anyone seen it, uh, the film, or the, or the show, for that matter? Yeah, quite a few. Good, good. Enjoy it. Um, now, given that most of the room has seen the film, you probably don't need me to tell you that there's a moment in the film, there's a sort of period in the film, where the evil scar is ruling the roost. And it kind of seems like quite bad news and bad times for the rest of the animals in the kingdom. But then Rafiki, a brilliant character, my favorite, I think, a prophet like Monkey, senses that there is a change in the wind. Hope has dawned. And he says, it is time. Such a cool line, isn't it? It is time. <laughs> well, like Rafiki, Moses and Elijah 
appearing in our passage is a sign that there is about to be a change in the wind. Both Moses and Elijah warned the people back in their day that a life of rejecting God, you know, keeping the crown on our head, well, it has consequences. And that the only way of saving yourself from God's judgment, rightful judgment, for our rebellion towards him is to turn back to God because God has a rescue plan for you and for me to forgive us and to give us life that lasts for eternity. And the whole of the Old Testament is pointing forward to this rescue plan to come. It's coming. Moses says, uh, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So in arguably two of the most prominent Old Testament prophets reappear with Jesus in our passage, we ask ourselves, is it time? Is it time? Clue number four, the chat, the chat. Now, I don't often hang out with really important people, okay? I don't often do that, but just last week, I hope it's not a name drop to say this, but I had the privilege of hanging out with an ex-general of the British Army. And um, it was also very interesting to talk to him. But what did we chat about? Well, obviously, we talked about him. <laughs> I wanted to hear all about the stories, you know, of his time serving in the British Army. And, you know, that, that's kind of standard. When you're meeting with important people, what do you talk about? You talk about the person who's really important because you want to hear about what they're up to, what they've been up to. Which makes the chat between Jesus and these two heavyweights from the Old Testament so intriguing. You know, if Jesus is just a carpenter, you'd expect all the conversation to be about Moses and Elijah, wouldn't you? Take a look at verse 31. They spoke about his, Jesus' departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So, you know, this is a bit strange. If Jesus is just a carpenter, why are two of the most famous people in the history of Israel talking about Jesus and his departure? And what does departure even mean? What are they referring to? Well, when you look at the word departure in the Hebrew, it means exodus. Exodus. Now, back in the Old Testament, one of the greatest moments in Israel's history was when God saved his people from slavery in Egypt. And he brought them to the promised land, you know, through the Red Sea. It's the classic Sunday school story, isn't it? The plagues. It was called the exodus. The Exodus. But as you read the rest of the Bible, you see that the Exodus, that Exodus, was just a kind of signpost, a picture to an even greater Exodus to come. An Exodus that can include you and me. You see, God promised that one day he would save his people, not from slavery in Egypt, but from slavery to sin. And he would take his people to the ultimate promised land, the new creation, the place where Jesus will take us, his followers, after death. So back in our passage, these guys are chatting about Jesus' exodus, which invites the question, could Jesus be the one that can save us from our slavery to sin? You know, that sin that we just keep messing up in. You know, that sin that we know upsets God and yet continually happens. Could Jesus save us 
from it and take us to a new world after death. Clue number five, the cloud, the cloud. Did you notice in our passage that there's this mention of a cloud? Uh, it's, it's, I guess, what you expect at the top of a mountain. A few years ago, um, I was driving through the Pyrenees, as one does. I don't, uh, it's the only time I've ever been to the Pyrenees, I think. Anyway, um, and I was driving through the Pyrenees, and uh, loads of clouds around us as we're driving through. It's what you expect, I think. But you see, the cloud in our passage is different. Luke is very careful to tell us that this cloud just kind of appears suddenly. The stories in the Old Testament tell us that this is a sign for the presence of the true and living God. When royalty arrives, sometimes you get a bit of a royal um, fanfare. Oh, okay. <laughs> the king's coming. No, he's not. No, he's not. Um, no, the king's not coming this morning. But when we hear that fanfare, we think, the king's coming, don't we? The king's here. Well, like those trumpets, the cloud in our passage suddenly appearing announces God is here. In other words, this is an extraordinary moment in history. Um, I once had a friend at university called Tom. Um, He wasn't a Christian, and uh, Tom simply thought that Jesus was just an ordinary guy with some interesting teaching. And I don't know about you, but in the moments when, you know, we ask ourselves, is Jesus really worth following? I think there's the temptation to think, like my friend, that Jesus was just an ordinary guy. You know, when you have those kind of moments of doubt and questions, we are, I guess, in effect, reducing Jesus to an ordinary person. And maybe that's your default as you've come in this morning. But the sudden appearing of the cloud on this mountain is like the blast of trumpets that we just had in our ear. This is not an ordinary moment in history. This is no ordinary person. This is an extraordinary moment. This is an extraordinary person. Which brings us to the final clue. The final clue that helps us understand that we need to listen to the one who proves he's God's son. Clue number six. God's voice from heaven. Let me read verse 35. A voice came from the clouds saying, this is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Now, I don't know uh, if you've ever uh, had to interview someone for a job. Um, and you get to that point when you're asking you know, referees to send in references for this candidate that you are interviewing. And you're thinking, you know, is this person worth employing? Well, imagine with me, a candidate you're interviewing gets a reference from King Charles himself. And in the reference, King Charles says, this candidate is my son. To which you're then thinking, how did I not spot that it's Prince William or Prince Harry? And then you're thinking, I'm speaking with royalty. Wow. Well, how much more when the God of the whole universe says, this is my son. Listen to him. Remember, Luke has uh, written this to convince us of the truth. He says at the start of this gospel, you know, he's based it all on eyewitness accounts. Well, we have a buildup of clues until we get to the 
this clue, clue number six, the one that kind of brings it all together, that tells us that we need to listen to the one who proves he's God's son. And you know, you don't need to take my word for it, the truth comes directly from God himself. Which leads us with that question we started with at the beginning. Will you listen to Jesus? The stakes, in a sense, couldn't be higher. In our passage uh, just before ours, Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. This passage in Luke's gospel, it kind of acts like a massive announcement declaring it is time. God's rescue plan is here. This is my son. Listen to him. It is time. It is time, to put it simply, to save your life. No longer can we shut our ears to the truth. No longer can we claim, like my friend Tom from uni, that Jesus was just an ordinary guy with some interesting teaching. Did you notice, um, as we near an end, um, how Peter wanted to build shelters for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus? You know, he's thinking they're all kind of on par with each other. He was almost like literally trying to put Jesus in a box. But we've seen that Jesus is the Son of God. You can't put the Son of God in a box. We've seen his splendor, his beauty, his glory being displayed on this mountaintop. C.S. Lewis famously said, you can shut him, Jesus, up for a fool. You can spit at him and call him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so will you today, maybe for the very first time in your life, join others here by falling at Jesus' feet and calling him Lord and God? We're going to be taking communion in just a moment and it offers an opportunity to come to Jesus and to worship him for who he really is. And it may be that there are things going on in your life at the moment that have made you question whether following Jesus is really worth it. You know, is Jesus really worth listening to? Maybe doubt is creeping in. You know, maybe we're just tempted to kind of, you know, just call it all off. You know, when the call to deny oneself and to follow Jesus, to give him the crown, just feels like too hard to bear. My prayer this morning for all of us as a church might be that we'd feel comforted in knowing that by following Jesus, we have made the right choice. Your life is saved. Your future is secure. Our passage today is proof that you have chosen to listen to the one who really is God's son. Amen.